How long does it take to visit a faraway land? To bring a memory back in full color? To leap into the past or the future? With a good dime story, it can happen at the speed of just a few simple words. This is Dime Stories, your chance to go everywhere a story can take you in three minutes or less. Welcome to the Dime Stories podcast. I'm Nicholas Thurkettle, author and regular at Dime Stories Orange County. And I'm Jennifer Simpson, director of Dime Stories International. Every month, writers gather at local Dime Stories chapters and share their stories. Fiction or nonfiction, no guidelines, just one rule. Only three minutes to take us on a journey. The three favorite stories from each event are archived on our website, dimestories.org, and in this podcast, we're putting together some of the best of the best to share with you. I grew a lot taller in my adolescence, and so sometimes it was hard to buy clothing that stayed ahead of the growth spurt. And even as I went away to college, every so often my mother would still say, well, you may have another inch or two to go. Last year I was having dinner with my family, and she said it again. You may have another inch or two to go. And I had to laugh and say, No, Mom, I'm 38 now. I'm never getting taller again. I don't know which one of us had been holding on to my youth more. Parental relationships may be among the richest veins of writing inspiration out there, and we could put together many episodes of this podcast from tremendous dime stories written about parents. For now, though, here's three we found pretty special. Maria Leba is a favorite at the Albuquerque Dime Stories chapter, and in an almost breathless three minutes, she tells about how getting behind the wheel for the first time allowed her to get to know her mother in a whole new way. This is Lessons in Driving. You don't even go to church, my kids tell me, wondering why I keep a rosary on my dashboard. I've kept it there for over 40 years, an early reminder of my driving lessons from Mama, even though she never learned to drive. On the summer of my 16th year, Mama sent me for driving lessons with Coach Vivian at Highland High School. My friends and I took the bus, and sometimes we walked to UNM's football stadium for our field training. We were so glad we didn't crash our car like that kid from Mazzano. For our final written test, it was announced that I had the highest score of the whole class. Ejola, Edo Vigen said. Maria even scored higher than all those gringos from the Heights. On my very first errand, Daddy gave me the keys to the family's white rambler. But little did I realize I would have a constant backseat driver. Mama sat next to me, stiff as a board, and as I started the car for the very first time, she pulled out her old black rosary from her purse, immediately started with Santa Maria, Madre de Dios. My hands tightened around the steering wheel until my knuckles were blanched. But in time, she just put the rosary in the dashboard, and we all relaxed. I had always been Mama's eyes, so I was astounded when she gave me precise directions of where to go, exactly where to stop. Mama had a brother in Mexico who was blind. Theo Pedro had that same ability, telling us where that dangerous curve was or how many kilometers to the next village. Having Mama sitting next to me wasn't so bad. She did have a funny way of giving me advice through her peculiar stories. Sometimes the stories were about novellas she had read or novellas she heard on the radio. I liked the one about the two young Puerto Rican teenagers in Brooklyn who met on the rooftop of their apartment building. They were young, in love. Of course I got the message she wanted to relay. No sex before marriage. Her face turned a bright red when she told me the part of when the lovers were caught naked in the girl's bedroom. 
There were many family stories included in those drives, so it was like having my own life audiobooks that depending on how long our trip lasted, I would have to wait for the next trip to hear how everything ended. My favorite stories were about when she was a teenager in Mexico. I could see her dancing with her friends and having to stop to wind up the old Victrola or traveling with friends by horse-drawn wagon to a neighboring town for a dance returning under a full moon, singing songs all the way home. On her 18th birthday, she knew her novio and her friends would be coming to serenade her at sunrise. She wanted to look nice, so she wore her favorite dress to bed. Just as she heard them sing Las Mañanitas, she jumped out of bed, ran to the window looking radiant and lovely. Tears rolled down Mama's face when she told me that her first love had been killed in the war, fighting with American soldiers during World War II. Mama's been gone for over 22 years, but every time I look at her rosary still sitting on the dashboard, I feel such a beautiful warmth and glow inside me. I marvel at how Maria's own three-minute story could also contain all these little miniature stories about her mother. It's so vivid and exciting. Maria was born into a family of Mexican oral storytellers. Her summers were spent in her mama's village, where every evening her tío Hilario lit her fertile mind with his magical stories. I was intoxicated, she says, enchanted with the words that flew out of his mouth while the wood stove crackled and the petrol lamp's fumes made me feel like I was in another world. Maria loves sharing her stories and performing poetry at El Chante Casa de Cultura, and one of her stories was used in a dramatic monologue, Mas Caras, for La Casa Teatro. Sadly, not every parental memory gets to be a positive one, in life or in fiction. Liz Zercher, the administrator of our Orange County chapter, creates a powerful story out of a parent's flaws and a child's painful choice, leaving home. Last Sunday morning at work, Sarah told me how heartbroken she was to leave her 18-year-old daughter at college 2,000 miles from home. I keep going into her room, expecting to find her sprawled on the bed, talking on the phone to her boyfriend, Sarah said. It's funny, I didn't realize what energy she sparked in the house until she wasn't there anymore. As tears welled up in Sarah's eyes, I couldn't help wondering if my mother's heart was broken when I left home for good at 18. I can still see her face right before I backed out the kitchen door. Her eyes were dull, her green and white gingham apron tied double around her waist. A wisp of dingy brown hair threatened to obscure her vision. She was making oxtail soup. One hand held the wooden spoon she used to stir the onions, celery, and peppers that were frying in Crisco before getting thrown into the soup pot. The other hand held her glass of Coke, which I knew also had a good slug of rum in it. The soup would have a bottle of beer in it, but only after she had taken a long gulp from the bottle. Her cigarette burned down to the filter in the brown glass ashtray next to the sink. I don't think she believed me when I said I was going to Chicago with Billy. I don't think she understood that I wasn't coming back. She stared at me with her head cocked toward the rum and coke, midway to her next sip, the wooden spoon poised above the frying pan. Do you understand me, Mama? I'm leaving town. Will you be home for dinner, she asked. No, Mama, I won't be here for dinner anymore, I answered. Do you want me to make you a nice sandwich for the road? She asked me as if I were a child going on a field trip. No, Mama, I don't need any food. I'm leaving now. I said. I shifted my suitcase from one hand to the other. It felt heavier than when I packed it. Goodbye, I said, taking a step toward her instead of away. She put her drink down on the counter next to the ashtray, picked up her cigarette, and took a long drag, blowing the smoke out the side of her mouth away from the food. 
She stubbed out the cigarette in the ashtray and picked up her drink again. Turning back to the stove, she said, don't let the door hit you in the ass on the way out. I would have expected that comment from my father, but from my mother? Stunned, I backed up, suitcase in hand, until I stood with my back against the screen. I took one last look at my mother in her kitchen, stirring and drinking and smoking, her back to me, fixing dinner for her lost family. I pushed the door open and fled down the back steps of the farmhouse toward freedom, emancipation. Was my mother's heart broken? Not that I could tell. There's a great mystery in Liz's story, which is how the mother and father really did feel when they realized what their daughter had done. There's a haunting power when a writer leaves an empty space like that. Liz Zercher lives in Southern California with her artist husband, Gary. Her personal essays and short fiction have been featured in various publications, including Chicken Soup for the Ocean Lover's Soul, The Dime Story's 10th Anniversary Anthology, and the Laguna Beach Independent Newspaper. She co-founded and contributes regularly to Little Bit Everything in Tasty Sauce, a collaborative blog featuring short works of fiction, nonfiction, and poetry. Visit tastysauce.blogspot.com or the Orange County Archive at dimestories.org for more of Liz's stories. In her professional practice of adoption law, Albuquerque Dime Stories regular Susan Paquette has had some unique experiences in watching the effect the prospect of parenthood has both on birth parents and adoptive ones. Here, she paints an unforgettable picture of a birth mother who's transformed by a single simple idea in photograph. Bridget Rodriguez carried the diagnosis of bipolar with hyperactivity and was six months pregnant. I was a lawyer helping her with her adoption plans. She made two rotations around my desk and then sat briefly in the client chair. Looking at her was like having a psychedelic flashback. She had tiger-striped t-shirt over chartreuse maternity top, black tights, and cutoffs that stopped an inch higher than they should have. She said, guess, guess, can you guess what I have here? Go ahead, go ahead and just guess. She proudly showed me a sonogram of undefinable lines. Mrs. Susan, Mrs. Susan, what do you think? Do you think she's beautiful? I said, yes. By the way, the adoptive parents would like a picture of you so they can show the baby, her birth mom, when she's older. Bridget was quiet and then said, nah, I'm a mess. This baby needs a birth mom she can be proud of. Besides, I ain't got no picture of me. This would be before the time of iPhones. I told her I would bring my camera for a picture at our next appointment. Bridget said, they really want a picture of me, a picture of me to show her someday? At our next appointment, I hardly recognized Bridget. She looked as if she had dressed for a job interview. Tailored navy blue dress, hair and makeup perfect. A nice looking young man with her wearing a long sleeve shirt and tie. She told me he was a baby's father. I will never know if he was really the baby's father or just looked like the perfect father to Bridget. They moved their chairs next to each other for the picture. They looked like Phi Beta Kappa college students. I told Bridget she would have to be still for only a moment. I went to snap the picture and the camera's batteries were dead. I could not believe it. it took my office 20 minutes to get new ones. I imagined Bridget flying from the ceiling by the time the camera was ready. 
but Bridget was determined to give her baby a mother she could be proud of. She sat perfectly still and waited. I took several shots. When I finished, Bridget stood up, circled around my desk twice, and skipped out the front door. A mother's love takes many forms. Even in this age of selfies, a single photograph can have incredible power, both as a link to one's past and as an ideal to strive for, even for just the moment it takes to take the picture. Susan Paquette lives in Corrales with her husband, standard poodle puppy, and pet goats. She has practiced adoption law for over 30 years, ensuring birth parents understand their legal rights in the extremely difficult decision of adoption, cases which have deeply touched her heart. She began writing short stories and poems a few years ago and has never had so much fun. Her story, Judge Falcone's Funeral, was selected for the book Dime Stories, California, New Mexico, and Beyond. Her writing has also appeared in journals and anthologies throughout the Southwest. She recently published Apricots and Tortillas, an anthology of short stories about growing up in Albuquerque. Dime Stories was founded by novelist Amy Wallen and is now managed by Jennifer Simpson. That's me. Dime Stories chapters meet every month in Albuquerque, New Mexico, Orange County, California, and San Diego, California. If you'd like to start a chapter in your town, write us through the contact page of our website, www.dimestories.org. There you can also find hundreds of Dime Stories archived, including the ones from this episode. And a special thank you to Scott Holmes, who composes the music we use in all of our episodes. Learn more about his work at scottholmes.com. If life is a series of moments, any one of them could be a dime story. Get out there and tell yours. And thanks for listening. <laughs>